So I do want to make mention again, I know it was in the announcement video about the podcast. I do want to make mention again, uh, we, we are, are not going to start the podcast until I get questions from you or topic suggestions. So we have not gotten any. We advertised it last week. We advertised it on Facebook. So if you're stewing with some questions and you're just scared to answer them and you want an anonymous way to ask them, uh, there's a slide we're going to put up here for the podcast and you can text them in. So I think there's a text number. There should be a slide on there for the podcast. But there it is. Take a picture of that. Write it, put it in your phone right now. There you go. Take a picture. I see some of y'all taking pictures. That's a number. I'll advertise it again on, on Facebook. We, we really want to know what it is that you may would want us to talk about. And so the goal for the podcast is to be a, another outlet for, for us to go a little bit deeper into God's word than, than we do on Sundays. And I believe it will be a blessing to the body of Christ for us to be able to talk about tough subjects. Maybe you, you hear something in a message and you think, man, I really wish you would have went a little bit deeper with that or explained a little bit more. What, this could be a forum for that to, to uh, take place. So if you think of a question during this message, you've got a number right there. Send it in and we can talk about it. Amen? So here we go. We're continuing in the Gospel of John. And we are continuing in the Eternal Word series. And I've titled the message this morning straight from the text. You'll see it when we get to the section in John 4. The title is, Unless You See Signs and Wonders. Unless You See Signs and Wonders. And I, I want to thank Pastor Matt. Uh, I don't know where he is right now, but I want to thank him for preaching this last week. I think he's probably helping get set up for the car wash uh, in the rain. Uh, but I want to thank him for preaching God's word last week. Didn't he do a great job this last week? We concluded the Samaritan woman story, and now we're, 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 uh, we're taking a, an, another journey with Jesus here. So would you pray with me before we jump into this section? Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. But we do not take it lightly that we get to open your word and we get to study your word, the very words of God. And I just pray that all of our hearts would be ready and receptive to hear what it is that you would say to us. Lord, we, we just don't do this just because it's... it's um, it's just a, a routine or a habit, Lord. We do it because we are hungry for your word. We want to hear your word. We want to grow through your word. And we want to become more like Christ. And I pray that that would take place here today. And Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in 1994, there was a hit movie that came out. And I know that many of you, you probably have seen this movie. You probably see it every year because it plays every single year around the same time, around Christmas time. And the, the main actor in the movie, his name is Tim Allen. What movie am I talking about? Santa, who, who's seen the movie? I'm not, I'm not here to debate whether we should watch Santa Claus movies or not, <laughs> but I've seen the movie quite a few times. And so you have Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. And if you know the story behind the Santa Claus movie, uh, Tim Allen, uh, Scott Calvin is his character. Scott Calvin uh, stumbles into becoming Santa Claus. And so he, he puts on the Santa jacket, and, and that's kind of the rules. Whoever puts on the Santa jacket has to assume the role of Santa Claus. And so, so he becomes Santa, and, and he ends up getting to the North Pole, right? And he's looking around, and he's like, I can't, I see it, but I can't believe it. I see it, but I can't believe it. And you remember, there's a little elf named Judy. Do you remember Judy? 
Judy walks up to Scott Calvin and says, don't you understand? Don't you understand? Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Now, I I, I don't think that, that Judy is trying to hint at in that movie some spiritual truths, but she really is speaking to a biblical truth that seeing is not just the way in which we believe, but believing really truly is seeing. I think she's onto something. I think that she's onto something that, that we can all relate to as human beings, that sometimes it, it's, it's difficult when we can't see to believe. It's difficult for us as humans, not only for us as humans, but for kangaroos as well. We'll talk about another movie or another book. Do you remember the Dr. Seuss book? You remember the, uh, uh, it's, it's the book, uh, Horton Hears a Who? You remember in the, in the movie that they made, Horton Hears a Who, you had the kangaroo and, and, and the heart of the story was that Horton, the elephant, believed he heard, he believed he heard voices from, uh, from people inside of a little, little flower, a dandelion type thing. And no one believed him because he's crazy, right? And so the kangaroo says this, to Horton says, if you can't see, hear, or feel something, it doesn't exist. Believing in tiny imaginary people is just not something we do or tolerate here in the jungle of Noel, right? Seeing is believing. And this is, this is the way in which we as humans naturally gravitate to. If I, can, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't feel it, then I will not believe. And, you know, Jesus deals with this he deals with this throughout his ministry. And we're going to look at a section here in John 4 where that really is taking place here. That's the heart of what we see here. But he dealt with, he dealt with it uh, a- after the resurrection. If you remember, after he was raised and the, the women left the, the tomb and went and told the disciples, word began to spread. And who was it that did not believe? Who, who would not believe? It was Thomas. What did Thomas say? He said, unless I see the, his hands, the mark of the nails... And place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. If I can't see it, I will never believe. And what did Jesus do when he came to see the disciples? He came and he comes in and he sees Thomas and he says this. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen. Seeing is believing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Their belief is their sight. And we are all those who could say that we have not seen, but yet we believe. It's belief based upon what we see. It's belief based upon evidence. I do believe we have lots of evidence for the existence of God and lots of evidence for the resurrection of Christ. But is, is, it, is belief really only about what we see and the evidence that we see? Or is belief really faith and trust in God and his word? And so in this section in John 4, following the conversation with the Samaritan woman, we're going we're gonna to run into some people who believe in Jesus, but they really only believe Jesus at a superficial level. They really only believe Jesus because of everything that they are seeing, but they really don't believe Jesus for who he really is. And so we're going to look at this section in John 4, some really compelling uh, details within this story. And we're going to look at a group of, a group of people, but also an, an individual, a ruler, a nobleman. We're going to see what God's going to do in his life. And really the main heart of what we're going to look at, this is the main point 
of the entire message, and I think of the entire section, the main point is this, is that our Lord desires sincere faith and not superficial praise. Our Lord desires sincere, heartfelt love and faith and not superficial praise and adulation. Our Lord desires sincerity and not superficiality. This is the heart we'll see in this entire section. And, and, in, and as we go through it, there's really kind of three areas in which we're going to get to see uh, this unfold. And the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see the compassion of Christ. And as we see the compassion of Christ, we'll move on and we'll see, in spite of its compassion, we'll see superficial belief. And then in the end, as we close, we're going to see genuine belief and generational impact. Genuine belief and generational impact. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 4. We're going to kind of take it section by section. We're going to look at the two first verses. We're going to cover verse 43 down to verse 54. So let's look at the first two verses. John 4. Starting at verse 43, it says, After the two days he departed for for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So after two days he departs from Galilee. For Jesus said that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So the first thing we're going to see here this morning is that Jesus goes out of his way to seek those who do not honor him. Jesus goes out of his way to seek those who do not honor him honor him. So, so Jesus left Samaria in the south and he headed north to Galilee. Now Galilee was his hometown. These were his people, his mom, his dad, his brothers, his aunts, his uncles, people he grew up with, his friends when he grew up. This is the Galilee region, which Nazareth would have been in, in the Galilee region. This is where he would have been from. These were his people. He leaves the south from Samaria in that conversation we saw in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. And he heads north and goes to Galilee. And these are the people that would have known. They would have known. When, when Jesus came into town, they would have known that he was coming. They, they would have celebrated him being there because these were his people. But there would have been some level of, of familiarity with him. It would, it would be like if you were gone for a little while on a journey and you get back home. And people know you, right? They, they, they're not going to probably celebrate you as much as they, they would if, if you were a celebrity and you came into their home. But Jesus is, is, this is his family. This is Galilee. This is his people. This is where he was raised. And, and notice it says that he received no honor in his own hometown. For a prophet receives no honor in his own hometown. That shouldn't surprise us with Jesus. You would think that wherever he would go, he would receive honor. Why do you think he should receive honor. Why do you think it would be obvious that he should? Because he's been doing lots of miracles. He's been doing lots of signs and wonders. He's been healing the sick and and raising the dead and and casting out demons. And and he's been getting popular all around the region of Judea. And now he's coming into Galilee. And and so he's been doing miracles. and, And you would think that he would receive honor. But notice what the Bible says, what we read in John 1 verse 11. When we started this series in John, it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. See, because what we have to not forget when we're going through this is that Jesus didn't come to be a miracle worker. He came to be a savior. And the miracles that he did, his power over nature, his power over physical healing, his power even over life itself that he could raise the dead were to demonstrate his deity, that he was the son of God. But he came, he didn't come for the purpose of signs and wonders. He came for the purpose of redemption. 
This is why he came. And so he received no honor from his own people. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. In the end, what they wanted was a miracle worker. In the end, that's what they were looking for. And the miracle worker died. And so they all left him. So when he came to his own, ultimately, in the end, they did not receive him. What's so powerful about this section, as we think about him coming back to Galilee and him not being received, so important to to look into all the details of the text. And and as I was studying and, and reading, if you look back at verse 44, let's look at verse 44. It may not be on a singular slide there, but it says, after the two days, verse 43, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Verse 44 says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. There's a preposition there in verse 44 that it starts, that verse 44 starts with. It's the the word for. And if you translate that word out in the original language in the Greek here, it means because. Because. 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee, because Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I want you to know something. This is powerful right here. Think about this. This is, this is what it says. After two days, Jesus departed for Galilee, and it could be said, because he has no honor in his hometown. Wow. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus goes out of his way to interact with people who do not honor him. He says, he, it says here, he left Judea, and then two days later goes to Galilee because, for the purpose of, for the reason of, The fact that the people in his hometown do not honor him. Wow. Jesus is not like us. He goes after those who don't honor him. This is the compassion of Christ that we see. He wasn't looking for the honor. And he purposely was going to the place where there would be no honor. He was going after those people. He was pursuing those people. He he on purpose went to to an area where he knew he would receive no honor. We see this all over the scriptures. We see this all over the gospels. Jesus made a habit of doing this. If you think back, what was the narrative that we just read for the last couple of weeks in John? It was a Samaritan woman. Do you remember in John 4 when we began the story of the Samaritan woman? Look at John 4, 3 through 4. It says, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, you, if you remember the details of the, of the story, the Samaritans were people that the Jews did not like. They were mixed breed Jews. They, were, they were, had intermarried with pagan people and they had adopted false religions. So the Jews, purebred Jews, would have not wanted to be around Samaritans. But what did Jesus do? He had, on his way to Galilee, on his way to a group of people that should have honored him, should have loved him truly, on his way to those people, he stops with another group of people that certainly would not honor a Jewish man. Do you see that? This is so powerful and profound. For because they did not honor him, he wanted to go to Galilee. He went to Galilee. You remember Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector and a sinner. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up into a tree because a wee little man was he. He couldn't see because of the crowd. And he climbed up into the tree to see Jesus. But Jesus had a, had a mission. He had a plan. He had to go to his house. Luke 19, 9, Jesus tells him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Wow. Jesus goes out of his way 
to interact, to pursue those who do not honor him. And as Zacchaeus was, as a tax collector, he was considered a notorious sinner. And, and, and the Pharisees always were confused as to why Jesus would do that. Why would you go around people who don't honor you? Why would you go around sinners and, 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 and sexual sinners and, and adulterers? And why would you go around people that are the scum of the earth? Jesus, why would you do this? And they continually questioned him. And look at the reputation Jesus got. Matthew eleven nineteen. the son of man came eating and drinking. And they said, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors, Zacchaeus and sinners, right? A friend of tax collectors and sinners, just like Zacchaeus, just like the Samaritan woman. Just like these people in his hometown who do not honor him. He has no honor in his own hometown, but yet Jesus goes and he pursues. He is a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is a friend of sinners? He's a friend of sinners. I love the song. It's a hymn. It's a modern day hymn called His Forever. Listen to the words. Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me ere I knew him. Drew me with his cords of love, tightly bound me to him. Jesus, friend of sinners, a crown of thorns you wore for me, bruised for my transgressions, pierced for my iniquities. The wrath of God that I deserved was poured out on the innocent. He took my place, my soul to save. Now I am his forever. Jesus, friend of sinners, I love to tell the story. Redeeming love has been my theme and will be when in glory. Amen. Jesus, friend of sinners, goes out of his way to be around people who do not honor him. What would be said of us if, perchance, someone was writing a narrative of my life and I'm headed to Galilee, what would it say? This is what it would say. Having departed for Galilee, Ben changed his mind and went somewhere else because he has no honor there. That's what I would do. Would would, would you do that? That's what you would do too, right? Am I the only one that's not like Jesus? We don't go where we have no respect. We don't go where we have no honor. How do I know that? Because you go to Rouse's like I do. And Walmart. In the mall, wherever else you go. And what do you do when you see some? What do I do when I see somebody or you do when you see somebody that you know you have no honor with, no respect? Maybe there's tension between you. What do you do? You grab your phone when you have no text message. Right? You turn and you go the other direction. You grab an item off of the shelf that you're not even going to buy. And you read the ingredients that you don't even care about because you don't read the ingredients on any of your other products. And you're acting like you care about the ingredients in words you don't even know how to pronounce. That's what we do. We do that when we are faced with people that we know don't honor us or maybe we don't honor them or there's respect or there's tension or there's difficulty. Jesus is completely opposite from us. If he would be in Rouse's and would see somebody that was his enemy, that he knew was his enemy, what would he do? Hey, let's have a conversation. Why? I think the heart of the gospel tells us exactly why. It's one word, reconciliation. Reconciliation. Jesus was after reconciliation. 
We aren't after reconciliation as much as we need to be after reconciliation. Because if we were after reconciliation, we wouldn't avoid. We wouldn't try to separate. We wouldn't go the other way. We would be like Christ. We would have his compassion and we would pursue. We would go after. After two days, he departed for Galilee, a place where they did not honor him. A place where, where they did not recognize him as the son of God. And they didn't understand why He was doing what he was doing. They did not honor him properly. And he went specifically because of that perchance that they would understand, that they would receive, that they would believe. So I think what this really tells us in our life here today is, Lord, may we have the heart that you have. May you birth in our hearts a heart of reconciliation. And that it would transform the way in which we interact with people. I I have people and you have people. All of us have people in our life that we would want to go the other way. And maybe maybe that's at Thanksgiving dinner. Christmas or, or events, right? And you know it. Maybe it's family. May we adopt the heart of Christ. A heart of reconciliation. So my question is, who, it is, who is it in your life, in our life, that we might need to pursue towards the end of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you would press that into our hearts. So this is really the the, the first thing that we see. This is the introduction before he gets into Galilee, before we see a transition here. We see his compassion first, and it's hard for me to pass that up. We we see the compassion of Christ all throughout the Gospels. We see it over and over again in the Gospel of John. We're going to see it many times, and it's hard to pass up a view of his compassion. He went to people that would not honor him because he is a compassionate Savior, because he's a compassionate Savior. He goes out of his way to seek those who do not honor him. Now let's look a little closer at what this text reveals about those who do not honor Christ. We're going to see two types of people, two groups of people. We'll see a whole region, Galilee, wherever he's at there in Galilee, in, in Cana of Galilee. We're going to see a region of people who do not honor him. And we're going to see a man who doesn't honor him properly yet. Let's look back at the text. Let's read, pick up in verse 45. Verse 45 through verse 48. It says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They welcomed him. Wow. I thought they didn't honor him. They welcomed him. That's interesting. We'll we'll, we'll see what's happening with that welcome. They welcomed him. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So when he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the second thing we see in this text, as you're looking now at the people, that Jesus was going to be around, who do not honor him properly. The second thing we see is that people who do not honor Jesus often only want to use him. So people who do not honor Jesus, often they only want to use Christ. They only want to use him for what he's doing and for what he can do and be around him. They often only want to use him because he can be popular and he, he, he's, gaining national, uh, uh, he's gaining national attention in Israel and they only want to be around him for what he can do for them. We see here that the Galileans welcome Jesus. They welcome him. They welcome him. It's kind of like this, this high five moment. It's this moment 
It's this moment where he comes home and, and notice it says that they welcome him having seen all the things that he'd been doing. So it's the hometown hero now. When Jesus left and went about his ministry, they didn't know what was, was going to come of Jesus. And then they started getting reports of the sick healed, of the demon possessed cleansed, of the dead being raised, of miracles taking place. And so Jesus comes home and they're like, Jesus, we, ne- we, we didn't know. You were just Jesus. You were just Mary's son and Joseph's son. And, and we went to school together and we, we ate together. And, and, and you got on my nerves because you never did anything wrong. It's just you, Jesus. But wow, high five to you. We've been hearing all kinds of incredible stories about what you've been doing. This is amazing. They welcomed him because they had been seeing the things that he had been doing. So this is the Galilean people. We've seen what you've you've been doing, and and you know what's actually happening here is that, I think this happens a lot in our lives, is that the status of Jesus would elevate their status. You ever ever wanted to be around somebody that was important, that had influence, that had power? And if you were around them, or you had to have lunch with them, or or maybe even you had their phone number. You got a phone number of somebody that has some, some, some fame, some notoriety. You know, I have that person's phone number, and you pull, pull out your phone, and, oh, look, I got a text from so-and-so, right? Their status elevates our status. I think this is what's going on here in Galilee. Jesus comes home. He's been doing miracles, and they welcome him because of what they've been seeing and hearing that's been taking place. There's high fives. There's fist bumps. Welcome home, miracle worker. The Galilean people, though, did not honor Jesus rightly. Some people are more interested in using Jesus instead of loving Jesus. I believe this is what's happening with these Galilean people. How how do we know that? It's a superficial welcome. Look back at the text. The text shifts to a man from Capernaum. And so now let's leave the Galilean people there. They welcomed him. And I, I believe it's a superficial welcome. We'll see it here in the text. But now enters a ruler. And this is a ruler. Uh, um, and and if you, it doesn't really say uh, he's a nobleman. It doesn't really say exactly who he is working for. He's an official. But if you read the original language, it's the idea that he's a, an official of the king. And the king that, during that day was Herod Antipas, a very wicked, evil king. And so this is a man of authority and of power. And he hears, just like the Galileans have been hearing of the miracles that Jesus has been doing, this nobleman, this official of the king, hears what has been going on with Jesus. He's been healing people. So look at the text. So he came again to Cana and Galilee. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. That's a very important detail. He was at the point of death. So you know what's happening here is it's desperation. Your child is at the point of death. You hear that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is a miracle worker. You've been hearing rumors and reports, and you make your way. He's desperate. Feel the desperation. He's desperate for a miracle. He's desperate for God to heal his son, or excuse me, for Jesus to heal his son. He doesn't know that he's God at this point, but he's desperate. His son was at the point of death. So he asked him, come down. Come to Capernaum. What did Jesus say to him? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Can you believe that? How offensive can that be? 
the desperation of a father coming whose son is at the point of death and says, Jesus, come down. Now, look, I don't think I think there were other words that were said here. This is the highlights of what John is recording for us. This is what is necessary for us to know what what happened. But you know the heart of a desperate father. You can imagine the pleading of a desperate father to Jesus. Come, I know you've been doing signs and wonders. I know you've been healing. Come and heal my son. And Jesus looks at the desperate father and looks at him and says to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Wow. Wow. So here's another instance here where the details really matter when you're studying scripture. The word you hear when it says that he said to him, unless you see, you won't believe the word you is in the plural tense. So really what is being said here would be like this. He's the, the, the nobleman says, come and heal my son. And it's like this, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What's Jesus doing there? He's in Galilee. He's in Cana of Galilee. He's got this, all these people that are high-fiving and fist-bumping and, and loving Jesus being there. We welcome, welcome Jesus. Welcome back home, miracle worker. We didn't, we didn't know you had it in you. We didn't know that was what you were going to be, but this is amazing. This is powerful. This is awesome. Welcome home. And this nobleman comes up in desperation. And I can imagine the people in Galilee were like, yes, you can, you can heal this. You can heal him. Do it, Jesus. Go. What did Jesus do? It's like he stretches out his hands. Picture it. It's like he says, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's confronting the hypocrisy of the belief of not only the Galileans, but of this man from Capernaum, this nobleman. They are only there because of what Jesus can do. The Galileans are only celebrating him because of what he has done. And Jesus is saying, he, it, it, it's a rebuke. It's a rebuke. Unless you see, you will not believe. Jesus is testing this nobleman. Will you believe and love me or do I have to perform for you? Do I have to perform for you? Will he honor Jesus or is he just interested in using him? Will this man believe in Jesus and love him or will he simply associate with him because of his power? You know, this is not just one incident, one incident where this happens. This is all over the Gospels. It's all over the interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees and other people that you see throughout the Gospels. There's this tension between people who want to be around Jesus because of what he's doing and the accolades he's having and he's, he's gaining. And those who really believe him for who he is. It's about the works and it's about the person. Will you believe him for his works or will you believe him for who he is? This is a tension. I, there's, there's one example of this that's very profound. I, I, I want to touch on it here. Jesus, in Matthew 12, he heals a man with a withered hand. And then he heals a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute. And then the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they begin to question him and they say, you are casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus looks at them and says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the only unforgivable sin. Matthew 12, verse 38 through 39. I just gave you an opportunity for a question. Send in a question. What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That's a little pause break there for the Living the Word podcast. Do you want to know? Text the question. 
I was about to go into it, but I don't have time. Then some of the scribes, Matthew 12, verse 38 and 39, verse 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Wow. Listen to this hypocrisy. Jesus had just healed a man with a withered hand. He had just cured a demon-possessed man that was mute and that was deaf. And the Pharisees come up to him and say, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What is Jesus saying to these people that are asking him for a sign? He's been giving signs. Give us another sign, Jesus. Show us, demonstrate, prove to us. Give us signs, give us signs. We want to know and know and know that you are who you say you are. There's a hypocrisy. There's not a belief there. He says that Nineveh will rise up in judgment against you because someone greater than Jonah is here, speaking of himself. What's Jesus saying here? What's he getting at? Jesus is saying that Nineveh repented without signs. When you read the story of Jonah, Jonah didn't do any miracles. Jonah barely, he didn't even want to be there. He wanted all the people of Nineveh to die because they were evil. So Jesus comes, so, so Jonah goes and he reluctantly, he's a reluctant prophet. He reluctantly said, hey, if you don't repent, you're all going to die. And they all repented without a single sign. Jesus is letting these Pharisees know Nineveh repented without signs. I've been giving you signs and you won't repent. They repented because of the preaching of Jonah. Here I am doing miracles and you still won't believe. So in a similar way in Galilee, think back to Galilee, in a similar way in Galilee, Jesus confronts the same heart of unbelief. It's it's unbelief from two different sides. On one end, you have Pharisees who will not believe in the face of countless miracles. They refuse to believe. And in Galilee, you have people attracted to Jesus because of the miracles, yet they're only using him for their own end. And both groups are lost in unbelief. One group sees the miracles and will not believe. Another group sees the miracles and praises, but they don't have belief in who he is. And so their faith is only superficial. Do you follow that? Both in unbelief. So so think about this. Jesus spent three years demonstrating his deity by healing the sick and raising the dead. Three years. Everywhere he went, he healed. I mean, John says, the Gospel of John says that if they recorded all the miracles that Jesus did, there would be not enough books to put them in. He went everywhere healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons and showing his compassion for three years, three and a half years. And in the end, all left. There was only a handful at the end, after the resurrection, 120 that it ended with, that the church was birthed with. But of the tens of thousands of people who saw the signs, saw the wonders, saw the miracles, they either were in one of those two categories. I want to be around Jesus because he's popular to be around. He elevates my status. Or I think he's of the devil. Crucify him. They all left. Superficial, superficial, superficial faith, superficial faith. It's kind of like this. It's like someone who says they want to be in relationship with you. 
and you invest time and energy and resources and emotional equity only to find out that they were only in it for what they could get out of you. And you didn't know that they were superficial, right? It's a superficial love, a superficial relationship. You spend time, money, resources, investing and talking and calling and dates and engagement or wherever you like. You just you're investing, 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 whether it's a relationship towards marriage or whether it's a friendship, whatever it is. You invest and you realize in the end it comes to the surface who they really are gets revealed. And this is what we see not only in this story, we see all throughout scripture that the superficial eventually go away. Superficial faith. What you thought was genuine was actually a lie. You know what's powerful about Jesus, how he's different than us, is that we we can't see what's in the heart of man or heart of a person, but Jesus can. Do you remember in John 2 where where it says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing? Very similar to Galilee here. They believed in his name. But it says in verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He himself knew what was in man. He knew it was a superficial faith. So my prayer for us here today, as we're looking at this thought of how that those who do not honor Jesus sometimes are only in it for what they can get out of Jesus, to use Jesus. My, my, my prayer for my life and for all of us here today is that, is that if Jesus never does anything else for us, we will honor him and love him truly and sincerely. If we don't get the miracle, if we don't get what we're asking for, I believe God does miracles. God is a miracle worker. He did miracles when he walked the earth. He does miracles today. But there are times when we don't receive the miracle. We don't receive what we're asking for. And so the test of our faith for some of us, maybe you're here today and everything you've asked for, you've gotten. And so you're here and you're like, it's been working out pretty good for me. There may come a day where it doesn't work out good for you. And where will your faith be? Will we be like the Galileans? Fist bumping and high fiving Jesus because everything's working out really, really well. Will we have a true, sincere faith? So, so how does this story end in John 4? What does the nobleman say in response to Jesus' rebuke of the superficial welcome that he received? What's, what's, what's the end? So, so, so we've seen firstly, it's, it's just recap. Jesus seeks those who don't honor him. He, he goes after them. Secondly, people who do not honor Jesus often are only trying to use him. And the third thing, such a powerful conclusion, genuine belief is met with household changing power. Look back at the text. John 4, 49 through 50. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So, so let's think about this. Jesus comes, Jesus, come and heal my son. The nobleman says, Jesus, come and heal my son. Jesus rebukes Galilee and rebukes, I believe, even the heart of this nobleman. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And this desperate nobleman, what's he going to say in response to that? Sir. Come down and heal my son before he dies. He's just like Jesus. Yes, I get it. But just come down and heal him before he dies. And what did Jesus say? Go, 
your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus said. This nobleman detail that's important here is he traveled 15 miles to get to Cana of Galilee. And in his response, you can hear his desperation. The nobleman said, come, so my child will live. Jesus says, go. He says, come. Jesus says, go. He says, Jesus, I know that if you come, he'll be healed. I've been hearing these stories. Come. Jesus says, go. He'll live. The man had faith to believe that if Jesus was there, his son would live. And Jesus says, go. I'm not coming. You go. Your son will live. Do you see that? What was he asking the nobleman to do? To trust, to have faith, to believe, to trust his word. And what does it say there? The nobleman believed the word of Jesus and he left. 15 miles. Can you imagine the journey? He's probably thinking, I should have just kidnapped the guy. I should have just had some rope and got some help and tied him up and put him over my shoulder and brought him back with me. Because then I would have known that he would have been, my my son would have lived. But he left. 15 mile journey. And you know they're not driving 75 on, on 311. He's either by foot or by camel or something. It's not going very fast. Hours and hours and hours and hours. Can you imagine the journey? What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Is my son living? Is he living? With every step, it's a step of faith. With every step, it's a step of trust. With every step, he's stepping. He's walking out. He's saying, God, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm believing and I'm trusting his word. Isn't that powerful? What does the Bible say about faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The nobleman heard about the works of Christ, but now he had to believe the word of Christ. He heard about the works are, are, are you here because of the words of Christ or are you here because of the words of Christ? He had to believe the word of Christ and that's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. Judy, faith, isn't, faith doesn't come by seeing. Seeing is not believing, right? Judy's onto something. Faith comes by believing and believing and faith come from hearing. And faith in Christ for salvation always comes through words. How are people saved? Through words. You know it would be wonderful? What I would love, and I know we, we, we'd all love it. I'd love to be able to go to the hospital and lay hands on all the people that are in there and they would all be healed. And then people's, that would be a first step in the, in the journey of people believing in Christ. But that's not what we see happen. This is where God has us in this broken world. How has God decided that people would be saved? Through the preaching of words. What words? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We see it all over scripture. I love the apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. I, I, just, I just love this. This is so profound. The word of the cross is folly. What does that mean? It means it's foolishness. It's foolishness to the word. The word of God, the gospel, is foolishness to those who do not believe. To to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribes? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. 
It pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what we preached. It's foolish message to the world. It's foolish. It's folly. But we preach. It pleased God that through what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. There will always be people who will demand signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. There will always be people. Give me higher knowledge. But what do we do? We preach Christ crucified. Salvation comes through preaching. It's the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ that God saves sinners. Sign seekers want signs and lofty thinkers want higher level existential conversations. But what do we do? We just preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified and resurrected. And we're not ashamed of it. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation. What's the power of God into salvation? Is it, is it the signs? Is it the miracles? No, it's the preaching. God can use a sign. God can use a miracle to open the heart of somebody. And he can do that. But the way in which we see the power of God that leads to salvation in people's lives is through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of the gospel to the sign seekers and to the high level thinkers. Christ crucified. So, what's the progression we see in this section? We see attraction to the works of Christ. Welcome home, Jesus. High five, fist bumps. Welcome home. Superficial. We're glad to be around you. Your status elevates our status. Man, you came from, you, you, you came from Galilee and this is the notoriety you have. Look at all the thousands of people following you. We love you, Jesus. Attraction to the works of Christ. Then, then we see the rebuke of the superficial and the testing of the desperate nobleman. Are you just like my people or will you really trust me? That's the testing of the nobleman. Are you just like my family? You remember in the Gospels, it says that not even his brothers believed in him. Are you like my brothers? Are you going to believe in me for, for who I am, not what I can do? And then we see the last progression is belief in the words of Christ. The nobleman leaves on his 15-mile journey not knowing if his son will live. So here's the conclusion. Let's look back at the text. What's, what's going to happen? Look back, verse 51, John 4, 51. And he was going down, as he was going down, this is a nobleman going down, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is 1 p.m., yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Wow, isn't that profound and powerful? At the exact hour, all these people living are, are leaving are for the car wash. So you guys get, get ready for the car wash. Can you, can you believe that? At the exact moment, at 1 p.m. when Jesus said, go, your son will live. At that moment, his servants told him the fever left him. Look at the text. And he himself believed and all his household. Third thing we see 
Did I even tell you my third point? Third thing we see is that genuine belief is met with household changing power. He believed in all his household. All his household. He himself believed. He is now not like the people of Galilee. His faith is not based on the crowd noise, on the chatter, on the Instagram post, on the Facebook post, and all the shares. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. His faith now is in the person of Christ. He went from the works of Christ to the person of Christ. He believes. He believes in now him and all his household. Genuine belief. He himself believed. Have you believed yourself today? He himself believed. No one can believe for you. Your mama can't believe for you. Your daddy can't believe for you. Your grandmother can't believe for you. It can't be your grandmother's faith that you live. It can't be your grandfather's faith that you live or your parents' faith. It can't be, can't be your pastor's faith that you live. It's got to be your faith. He himself believed. Do you believe today? Do you believe in Christ? Like the nobleman, he believed. He himself believed. He wasn't like the Galileans anymore. He believed in Christ. And notice the power. Genuine belief is met with household changing power. He believed in all his household. Belief in Christ and salvation from Christ will transform your life and it has the potential to transform the lives of everyone in your life. Isn't that encouraging? Many of you here today, you've been praying for people in your life to come to faith in Christ. Maybe family members or friends or coworkers, people that you love and care for. If you believe There's potential that through your witness in your life that others can believe. You remember one profound story. There's several of them I could have brought out, but there was one that stood out to me. Do you remember when Paul and Silas were in jail? Right? They they were in jail because they cured a demon-possessed girl who was making profits for people because of her fortune-telling. And, 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 and they get mad at Paul and Silas, and they throw him in jail. They beat him with rods. They throw him in jail, and they're bloodied and bruised in jail and stocks. And at midnight, they begin to what? Sing to God. Sing hymns to God. And then a shaking starts happening. The doors get open, flung open by the power of God, and they... They're free. They're able to get out. And the jailer, the jailer realizes that if these people get out, that's my life. I'm going to die. I'm the guard to keep them in there. And so he's about to, the Bible says, to fall on his sword in suicide. And Paul says, no, stop. Let me talk to you. And here's the culmination of that story. Acts 16, 30 through 34. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is powerful. Some of you, you've been, you've been praying for years for those people. This is something for you to latch your faith onto. God, I am believing for a household saving faith. So here's what I'm telling you. Genuine belief and love for the Lord is not superficial and based upon what God can do for you, lived out in your life, will impact those that are around you. And God will use that life and that testimony to touch your friends, your family, your coworkers. 
So the question we end with here today is who will we be? What kind of people will we be? Will we love Jesus for who he is? Or will we simply seek to use him for what, we can, for, for what he can do? Who are we going to be here today? Who, who, who will we be like? The superficial Galileans? Or the noblemen who genuinely believed and saw his household impacted for Christ? So according to this text in John 4, if we want to see gospel impact in our families and in the lives of those around us, sincere love for Christ is the only way. Sincere love for Christ is the only way. Lord, if you never do anything else for me, you are enough. Is Christ enough? Is he your all in all. Is he enough? Does he satisfy you? Does your relationship with him satisfy you? Are you looking for something else, something more, something deeper? I got I to get to a deeper level. It's nothing deeper than Christ. If he would just do this or just do that, then I would trust and I would believe. Seeing is believing. No, believing is seeing. Our faith is not superficial. God, help our faith not to be superficial. God, if you never do anything other than save me eternally, you don't, you don't owe me anything. Do you believe that? Here today. I pray that we do. Father, if you never do anything for us, help us to believe. Would you pray with us here today? Would you, would you bow your heads? Thank you, our Father. Thank you, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for making us righteous. Lord, thank you for your word that changes life, Father God. Lord, thank you for your love and your mercy that you come to us. Lord, you pursue the unrighteous. You pursue the unsaved. Father God, may we have a heart of reconciliation that we can pursue those that that is unsaved, the people that are difficult to deal with, the challenging people, Father God. Lord, help us, Lord. Lord, you are a mighty, mighty Father. And we just thank you for being with us, and we pray that we could be the light of the world in wherever we go this week and and, and this day, Father God, that we can pursue uh, pursue the people that you will want us to pursue, the people that you love, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that you are mighty God, and you have the control of everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good uh, Sunday, and have a good week. Love y'all guys.